So, 1981. Oh, are we back? Yeah, we're Finally? back. Finally? Yeah, no, okay. hey. Okay, it only took 12 years. Babe, don't break the continuity, okay? Great, so, okay. So, you want to know why? Because mm-hmm. we're doing this day after day, babe. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? We didn't take, like, two months off, even though we hiked No, we didn't did. take two months off? Okay. Um, okay. Anywho, okay. so... This this is the big episode because 1981 is the episode where Brabham gets their shit together. Okay. And the wrong person wins the championship. Of course they did. Yeah. But before we yeah. start on that, we're going to address the slight cl- crackle in the background. Yeah. Because I recall you telling me I would have to turn the Yule log that I have on my TV down. Yeah. Because it would disturb the podcast. Okay. If I go back into editing and the Yule log is super loud. It's not going to be because we just did a test and it wasn't. So I just need to... If you're bothered by the Yule log, let us know. Skip 1981, but no, like don't. don't skip. Don't skip. <laughs> let us know so that the next time when I have the Yule log going, I can tell you to stop being a pansy about it. Great. Don't turn my Yule log down. Just. It's nice. It's relaxing. It's very beautiful. I'm okay, not gonna great. lie. So now that the ambiance is set and we're two months delayed. Yeah. Uh, mostly because I figured out what I actually wanted to do with school, and <laughs> linear algebra and calculus three differential differential calculus was not it. I just fixed that by not going to school. But yeah, you know, multivariable calculus and is not like it's fun, but there's no real use to it in like practical, you know, in like a practical sense because software just takes care of all of that, and linear algebra is just addition with like extra steps. I feel like Mike would disagree with you since he's like. He no, Mike agreed with Mike. Mike literally, when I talked to him, was like, "No, yeah, it's." Oh, uh, I was he, really hoping Mike would be butthurt by that and be like, "No, man, no, that's Mike, my major." <laughs> Mike. So the really interesting thing is when I talked to Mike about the fact that I decided to not pursue a, like a mathematical like approach to physics mm-hmm. and just get rid of physics altogether was because yeah, um, fuck physics. Yeah, fuck it. He was like, "Yeah, so linear algebra is very big with like quantum quantum mechanics, which is what I wanted to study. Mm-hmm. But I don't really need to know like the angles that like electrons spin at or whatever. You know what I mean? Because no, I do not. That's I don't. Well, they only spin at two different. Sorry, they only spin at two different degrees, and so you just got really passionate. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> sorry, little remnant from from summer f- physics for um, scientists and engineers. Okay. Was that the last course of the physics. Well, so if you're interested in Formula One and physics, yeah. I mean, this is the podcast for you. Jesus. You know what's really interesting is I'm actually not an engineer, and we're gonna do a couple of videos on uh, like the different gadgets that Formula One teams have videos, had. Videos, huh? Podcasts. I'm sorry. It's not a visual medium. No, it's not. No. So we're gonna be we're, we're gonna be doing a couple <laughs> of episodes about. Uh, <laughs> Different, like, technical, technological innovations. A couple of them I'm going to describe very, like... Um, physical... No, yeah. I'm going to describe them in a very, it. like, layman's terms, I guess. From a very layman's terms point oh, of so view. Oh, so, like, I'm not gonna normal be, people speak. Yeah, I'm going to try my best because a lot of this stuff, it's not like you need to know what torque is because if you ask someone what torque is... It's like the tension, right? Like, spinny tension? Like Yeah. The, well, that, that could also be uh, radial acceleration. Nope. Okay. Or linear acceleration. Nope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Isn't it fun? Mm. Yeah. But That's a lot of stuff just it. has to do with, like, what, it, what the innovations actually did for the car. Okay. So, like, great segue. Uh, into Brabham. Into Brabham because they didn't fuck up. This is the year that they got their shit together. They won their championship. Spoilers. With uh, Nelson Oh, yeah. Piquet. Don't ruin the yeah, end huge of the spoilers. at the beginning. Um, fuck. Before that, though, there was the Feast and Folk War that I talked about right, earlier right. in the last episode. It was episode. very, like, political. Very political. Like, old Italian people or mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, kind of. 
So this is what happened. I vaguely remember it was a long time ago. FISA is the uh, FISA was the old world version of the FIA. So bef- now in like the modern world, we have the FIA, which is the Federal. International Federal Federation of like Automobile Racing, right? I don't. It's like Italian. It's FIA, but it's the International Federation. Of. It's in in Italian. It's Federazione Internazionale Automobile. So I'm calling it the American sense, which is just you know putting the words in a different order. They're the governing body for pretty much international sports. In the okay. States, we have NASA, not the, like, space NASA, but we've also got the SCCA, which is a sports car. I know the America. SCCA. Yeah. I don't know about NASA. I mm-hmm. thought you meant NASCAR at first, and I was going to agree with you, but then you said NASA like space, and I realized you said NASA. Um, yeah, so FISA, the governing body at the time, it's a precursor to the FIA. FOCA was the Formula One Constructors Association. Right, these were like the younger people. They were the less well-funded teams. So teams like Brabham, um, uh, ATS, Fittipaldi, McLaren. Fittipaldi? Fittipaldi, yeah. So Emerson Fittipaldi had his own team. Right, right, right. Okay, I remember because yeah. we talked about um, Fittipaldi yeah. yesterday. Yeah. The, his um, grandson. Um, wait, no, 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 I remember. God damn it. I yeah. was hoping I could remember his name. Yeah, Pietro Fittipaldi is racing in Formula One. Even though he probably shouldn't be. I mean, he's got a super license. He's qualified. But that doesn't make him better that doesn't than the make other people him around him. Kind of. I okay. mean, Emerson, if I, I was listening to the Beyond the Grid Formula One podcast. Oh, there's from, another Formula One podcast. Yeah, it's like the official. It's bad. Like, they're backed by, like, the FIA and, like, the governing body. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> AFIA can come through. Uh, Liberty Media, holla at us. Um, <laughs> Emerson has been behind Pietro from, like, the very beginning. Well, it's his grandson. Yeah, I'm I would saying. hope so. If it, not, Emerson, that's some stuff to unpack. Emerson is also the first Brazilian world champion. Double world champion at that. Of course he is. Yeah. He won in 72 and 74. Well, okay, now I feel kind of bad for Pietro. Because, like, he's... Well, a lot of these drivers have to fill their father's footsteps. Nelson Piquet had a son. Nelson Piquet Jr. Nelson Piquet Jr. raced in Formula 1 for about two years. That's unfortunate, because yeah. I don't know his name. Yeah. Nelson, well, I mean, he's... Nelson Piquet's an asshole because he named his kid Nelson Piquet Jr. That's an asshole move. I would do Like, that. If, if my dad <laughs> had been like, oh, yeah, you're going to be... Um, God, what's my biological father's name? You're going to be Augustine Jr. I'd be like, fuck you, dude. Like, that's weird. A lot of young talent that's backed by their name is... Usually, they, they don't have that fruitful of a Formula 1 career. So, Michael Andretti, who is Mario Andretti's son, raced in Formula 1 for McLaren in 1993. Mm-hmm. He was dropped 11 races in. Because he sucked. Because he was dog shit. Great. This is just because Formula 1 acts and don't really understand that, like talent isn't passed genetically. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, Michael so Schumacher... So they're a step behind science, is what you're telling me. They're, like, not quite understanding that you have to work for your talent? Kind of, in a sense. Okay. Well, also, at the same time... Well, it's a young sport, though. Like, com- it, comparatively. It is, but, I mean, I'm talking about, like, drivers that were, like, in their mid-20s that are, like, more than capable of, like, driving well and doing really well. But um, they don't have the talent. That's, they don't really have the talent. Michael Andretti is one of the guys. What matters? Yeah. So, and by that, I mean they weren't successful in Formula One. A lot of talents are absolutely like smashing outside of Formula One. Like um, Jacques Villeneuve, who is Gilles' son. Right. Um, he got into Williams in 1996, almost won the championship that year, first year out as a rookie. The only other drivers to do that, I think, were Hamilton and because uh, he's amazing. Because he's amazing. Hamilton and I think Fangio. I don't think Stewart won, like, w- was runner up. I don't know who Fangio Any, is. 
Juan Manuel Fangio. He was the five-time world champion. He was. You said the, his name again, and I still didn't know who he was. Juan Manuel Fangio <laughs> was the dominating driver of the 1950s. Okay. Out of the 54, or 55, or 56 races that he entered in, mid 50s, right? I was gonna say that was a lot. Yeah, he either <laughs> entered 54, or 55, or 56 races. He won 24 of them. He has the highest winning percentage. That's of, not bad. Which is incredible. Even of Hamilton. Yeah, Hamilton's got about 33% win percentage, and he's entered almost 300 races. Jesus. So, and Hamilton's got the most wins of a driver, so, you know, racing back in the day was a lot more dangerous. Right, right. So, We've gone over the dangerous cars, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Yeah, this was also, back in the day when, what? If anybody is following the current season for Formula One, the crash with, um, oh, what is his name? Grosjean. Grosjean? Grosjean, yeah. Grosjean, I can't say their names. That was messed up. You can call him Romain. Romain Lettuce. <laughs> <laughs> That's Just mean. kidding. Get he well. was just in a terrible crash. Yeah, he recovered. He's out of the hospital. Okay, his hands are like all bandaged though. Yeah, it's all That bad. crash looked so bad. Mm-hmm. I would, well, like, a lot of... I feel like I'd be the person who like panics in that situation and just sits there and dies because I didn't know what to do. <laughs> well, it's actually really interesting. When we cover accidents, because there, there have been some really big ones, we actually covered one with... Um, Regazzoni, where he was paralyzed in Long yeah, Beach. Yeah, yeah. That, like, and Not we're gonna Palm cover. Beach. They're different places, huh? folks. Palm Beach, Long Beach. Yeah, yeah, Long Beach. When he, when the car wasn't removed, and he literally like, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he went, yeah, yeah, right into I it. Remember. and Fucking shattered his legs and he was paralyzed That's from the waist down. Yeah. Mm. Um, experiences like that, or like where when Lauda was like trapped in the fire in '76, and mm. he like melted melted half his face off. Yeah, that's because. That's because of the lack of safety standards. So what's really interesting is actually this race uh, in Bahrain last last time out, not mm-hmm. today because the race was today. Last race. Last race. Um, uh, Sebastian Vettel and a bunch of other drivers were actually questioning the safety because of the barriers, because the barriers aren't supposed to do that. They're not supposed to, like, bend. So what happened was... Yeah, I saw. Grosjean, like, he hit he the went, barrier, and the barrier, like, bent one of the with bar- his car. Yeah, part of the barrier went under, and the other one went yeah. over and hit the halo. So it would have just completely decimated his head had the halo yeah. not been there. And on top of that, the safety of the car itself was questioned, because mm. you saw the accident. His car was, like, ripped in half. The survival cell with the front yeah. of the car was completely shattered, and then the back of the well, car... Well, the thing literally blew up. Like, yeah. it turned into a fireball. Yeah, it was all bad. It was not good. Thankfully... Thankfully, Grosjean's okay. Yeah. Hopefully, he... I mean, his hands are burned, obviously, because he can't race. He gave it to... Um... Pietro Fittipaldi. Fittipaldi. There yeah. we go. Who is doing quite admirably, I might add. He, I think, qualified... Sure. He finished... For a Haas driver in 2020, I think he finished 18th in his <laughs> oh last race. God. You're like, for a shitty team in 2020, he I don't want to so say shitty. they're shitty, but they... Mm, their first year out... Year, they're, they're not doing well. Not at all. Yeah, and they're not even... They're, like, it's questionable. They have two bases. They have one in South Carolina and then one in England. The well, South Carolina one sense. is more, like, a headquarters for, like, administrative offices and the one in England is, Which makes is, sense, like, because in England they have better production of, like, cars yeah. and things than we do here. That's just how it is. Another Unless cool you thing... want to, again, all steel F1 car that goes, like, two miles an hour. Yeah, well, the really interesting thing, actually, is Americans pioneered a lot of the stuff that was in Formula One, like, a decade before it was used. Right, so, Ground Effect sense. was used... Ground Effect was actually used about a decade earlier in um, Can-Am racing in mm-hmm. the States. Yeah. And there's an American driver, Dan Gurney, who, mm-hmm. God rest his soul, died a couple years back. Okay. Um, 
he developed this very cool thing called the gurney flap. Mm-hmm. It sounds a lot more intricate than it is. I think you talked about the gurney flap before. Yeah, it's literally just a piece of metal that hangs up on top of the rear wing. It's like yeah. you have the rear wing and you put a piece of metal up. It creates a bunch of downforce and it makes the airflow a lot smoother. If you look at a lot of like modern cars, like Camaros will have it or... You know, like a Corvette, you look at their rear wing, they're these, like, super aggressive things. It's just for downforce, but... Yeah. Anywho, Foca, FISA... Right, back to the actual episode. Yeah, so, Max Mosley... Who's that? The big players. Max Mosley uh, was Bernie Ecclestone's legal advisor. Oh! So... (laughs) He was the guy who was like, you can't do that. Max Mosley ended up becoming the FIA president for... After Jean-Marie Bolesky. The guy who, like, overall said you can't do that. So, let me give you the big players at the time. Max Mosley, who was very successful, very mm-hmm. affluent. His father was the Nazi, uh, he was a Nazi sympathizer for the British. I take back During World War Two. I know it's not his fault, like, you shouldn't pay for your parents' mistakes, but Jesus Christ. Max Mosley was a bit of an asshole. But was he a Nazi? He was a huge dick. You want to know why? No, Jean, Jean, my question. Jean-Marie Balestri was bad because he was a fucking asshole, but he was not Max Mosley. I respect Jean-Marie a lot more than I respect Max Mosley. But was Max Mosley a Nazi? Like he had... Uh, when we covered Max Mosley, there was kind of like this scandal because he would throw these very, like, crazy sex parties. There'd be massive orgies. Well, and like there was one Nazi. That just makes him kinky. Some of them were dressed up as Nazis. Okay, that's not okay. Nope, we don't like Mosley. Mm-hmm. I wanted to like him. I wanted Mosley, to like the legal advisor. Yeah, he very... A lot of these people are incredibly intelligent. So Max Mosley Well, is that doesn't mean the, they can't be bad people. Yeah, <laughs> just no, means they're smart and bad They got people. to where they are for a reason, and that's because they're very intelligent. That doesn't mean they're morally, like, I mean, good the for them, I guess. Yeah. So, Bernie Ecclestone, who is the kneecap breaker, he was... Good uh, for him. Yeah. Bernie represented the Garagistas for Foca, right? And Mm -hmm. this was really interesting. So the reason Bernie Ecclestone had such a dominating presence in Formula One was because in the late 70s, he bought the rights to Formula One. Like the commercial rights. (laughs) He bought them for a million dollars. Okay. Right? Only a million dollars? Only a million dollars. There were 10 teams. that's also in the late 70s though. So I guess... That's probably like eight or nine million. I mean, I can go to a bank and if I said, hey guys, I've got this cool business model. There's this, like the top of... I was like, if it's the pinnacle of motorsport, no one else is doing this. They'd be like, all right, great, here's the money. Okay, Pay us well, back when you want. Great for you, Mr. Good Credit Score over <laughs> there. Jesus. Yeah, 450, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> so this is really interesting. Um, Bernie Ecclestone went to 10 teams and said, look, I will give you 10% of the commercial rights for $100,000 each. And we'll leave it at that. Right? I'm doing math you wanna know, a second. You that's wanna... exactly a million dollars. Yeah, literally, because that's what he bought it for. He's like, I want to just own Formula One, but if you guys want the commercial rights, if you guys want more money, 10%, $100,000. A lot of the teams laughed him out of the room. I'm trying to see how he benefited financially from that. Like, how I'm going to tell you how he benefited, because the commercial rights of Formula One, Formula One in the mid to late 70s was becoming a very big deal, because... There it was, was no, new. It was, no, I mean, it had been around for like 20 years. But it was years. newly popular. It was, it was, yes, it was becoming more popular, and it's one of those things where like the exponential gains were just like shooting through the roof, so there was okay. just more interest in it because it was getting more publicity, and it steamrolled into this thing where um, just more people started watching. So Bernie Ecclestone, in his mind, was like, hey, guys, if you want part of the commercial rights, great. I own the commercial rights. I'll sell you a piece of it. Okay. Right? So... One of the teams, only one of them, bought into it, and it was McLaren. Okay. They bought in for $100,000, I think. 
I'm pretty sure it was McLaren. I know one team did. It was either McLaren or Ferrari. I'm and Google it. Google it. Give it a goog. Well, you know, it, you it, was in a, it was in a documentary that I watched on Netflix so called... you cut off my If You Know You Know, and then all of the people who watch any, like, obsessed with... Is it obsessed with Disappeared? It's... Wait. Well, it's both, because it's a Patrick Hines thing. Hi, please collab. I yeah, love you. Yeah, please, lol. It's not... I mean, this has nothing to do with true crime, but I love true crime, too. Yeah. So, um, um, there was a bit of a precursor so the the commercial rights weren't distributed properly the money wasn't being distributed properly at all ernie was then in a position where he controlled where formula one was where the races were held so you had race promoters promoters and organizers the organizers were the ones who came up with the money to host the race right mm-hmm. along with like the tracks yeah it's so like they when wanted you're to doing race club organizing mm-hmm. if you want yeah absolutely and speak alcohol to me and i'll understand great well another interesting thing a lot of alcohol companies, a lot of tobacco sponsorship. Of course, just yeah. like NASCAR. Yeah. <laughs> Bernie was the sole owner, pretty much, of Formula One. The commercial oh, rights are everything. Okay, I'm that's, seeing how that's he how was making his money. He I made, was just not understanding like how he would have continued to make money off yeah. of that deal if all ten companies he had bought into he it. He didn't own a piece of any other company other than Brabham and Formula One, and that was all he needed. Wow. Yeah. So well, literally I mean, in this lot. in this <laughs> one step, Bernie was the guy. If he didn't like how much money the race promoters came up with, he was like, "Fuck you, we'll go somewhere else." So a lot of that's something he did throughout the entirety of wow. his reign, pretty much. For him. If he didn't, if like say for example, South Africa, a uh, track that ended up coming off the the list a couple of years later, right? If Kyle Ami didn't put up the ten million that Bernie wanted, he'd say, "Fuck you, Portugal's going to put up 16. If you can match that, great. If not, eat my ass. I'll go somewhere else. <laughs> And so, so, so that's how Bernie still alive. Right? Yeah, he's about eighty. He was born in nineteen thirty, so he's about eighty. He's born in thirty five. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he's in his he's in his mid eighties. I know this. Excuse a moment while we try to do math. Yeah, I don't um, know how to do 2021 math. Twenty twenty one minus nineteen thirty five. I have a calculator. Twenty twenty one. What the fuck? It's twenty twenty, homegirl. Give me a minute, okay? Wow, I'm you're already waiting. in 2008. I'm waiting for I guess 2020 I'm, I, to be over. I guess I'm 2000 and late, aren't I? <laughs> I hate you. Yeah, it's okay. Okay, minus 1935. He's 85 years yeah, old. Yeah, great. You were right the first time. Yeah. Good for you. So, with these new TV rights, and with the Garagistas, and the uh, FISA-backed mm-hmm. um, like teams, pretty much, okay. FISA and FOCA doesn't seem like something where it's like, Teams versus teams, but it was. It was Ferrari, Renault, um, and a couple of other teams that were backed by FISA because they um, kind of kissed their ass. Right. It was those teams pitted against the Ergistas like Brabham, McLaren, March. Oh, yeah, Max Mosley also owned March, and they were mildly successful in the mid-70s. Well, I mean, Mosley was also and kind of a Nazi, so I'm glad that they weren't bit. super successful. Yeah, um, they ended up coming back, I think, either this year or next year. Anywho, mm. so they are they up, still owned by Mosley? Well, they don't exist anymore. But you said coming back. Oh, 1980 Wait, or 1981. <laughs> you said this year. I thought you meant 2020. No, babe. You gotta give me a break here. We're in 1981. No, we are in 2020. We oh are talking gosh. about 1981. Oh my goodness. Okay, we gotta. Continuity. All of the teams pretty much got together and agreed that they wanted to go in the same direction. They just had different ideas about how to do that. Right. So they signed something called the Concord Agreement. There's something called the CSN, which is the Commission of Sportive... Oh, my God. Comisión Sportive Nacionale. It was dissolved by the FIA, the right? The National Commission of Sports? Yeah. Great. Another Italian thing. 
it was so the CSN was the precursor to FISA, meaning that not it was to be confused C- with CNN. Yeah, Very so it was different. CSN first, then FISA, and then the FIA. Okay, if that makes any sense. Unfortunately, yeah. yes. Yeah, so okay. they had been the real rule makers for the last couple of years, and when FISA was created, the organizations butted head with FOCA, which of was led by Bernie. Did. So, uh, in one of the many arguments, like I said, they wanted to go in the same direction. So, what they came up with was money, TV airtime, commercial rights, um, they were all, ha- they all had to be more fairly distributed, which is, funnily enough, something that's still being discussed today. Well, right, because Concord you're agreed. never going to have, like, a complete even mm-hmm. distribution of rights. And you can't, because teams like Ferrari are like, well, we've been in Formula One since 1950. Right. Even though they haven't been there since the first race. Ferrari has tried to break off, and you'll get this thing where Ferrari will run its own championship. There are a lot of people watching that championship, mm-hmm. but then Formula One racing is now a lot better. Like, the racing is a lot more close because Ferrari's not there to, like, you know, snap their fingers and have the FIA, like, get rid of whatever technical innovation that Ferrari right. didn't think of. I so. just, like, <clears throat> I don't know. As far as it goes for, like, the, how do you say, like, consumer side of all of this mm-hmm. for Formula One, it's very difficult to find, like, merch. Like, I, yeah, you have to go to the individual teams. Well, right, but even then, like, if you go to the Formula One website, at least last time I was on, because, like, I'm always, I never know what to get you, so I go and look there to see if there's something. Remember and, my Haas backpack? Yeah. Don't don't buy Haas merch. Their backpacks are dog shit. Okay, don't buy their backpacks. That doesn't mean the rest of their stuff sucks. Be nice. Also, you use that thing a lot. But it's very hard. Like, from the Formula One site, there's not, like, a comprehensive way, like, okay, I'm on Formula One site, I mm-hmm. want this team send me to their, like, merch store. That does yeah. not happen. Yeah. It's a mess. Yeah, it's, it's pretty sloppy. They're still getting their it. shit together. They, it's 2020. It needed to be together five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. How long has Amazon been? 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 Okay. Bien. 1990... Bien around. Five, 1994, they were founded. Great. I think their online stuff started in, like, 97. Great. Because I was reading their 10K yesterday, but... Oh, right. But, yeah. Nerd. Fuck you. Anyway. It's gonna make me hella money. Okay, good for you. Anywho. And I think so, you meant us, but that's fine. <laughs> so, another acronym. FOPA. Jesus Christ. Formula One Promotions and Administration. And really... This is, this is the company that held the commercial rights. This was the group. It was owned by Bernie. Of course it was. Yeah. Just assume everything so you had, that is acronymed is owned by Bernie. So you had FISA versus FOCA... Which is actually FOPA. Okay, so FOPA and FOPA. <laughs> FOCA with a C, yes. as in cat, and yes. FOPA with a P, yes. as in pig. Mm-hmm. Both backed by Bernie. Are, like, the same thing. Pretty much. Great. Just one was, like, solely for commercial You know rates. what? I liked Bernie when this first started. I, love I don't know that Bernie's, I like him anymore. The, the takeover of... <laughs> Of the commercial rights is actually one of the most boss things I've ever researched. No, because like, the way Bernie talks move. about it, like, he's just... Bernie's, like, five foot. Like, he's tiny. Also, he's me. Yeah. <laughs> but he's, like, he's... Imagine... Imagine Mia that was five foot. Like, built really lanky, like, really oh, he's, thin. So he's small. Like, tiny, small. He's tiny. not built, like, you know... But he's worth five billion dollars. He's just mm-hmm. small. Actually, I think it's three. He's worth, like, three billion. Wow. He's worth a fuckload of money. That's, and the way... The way he had other people talk about his like takeover was fucking boss he just sat there and was like yeah i told him that it, if they didn't come up with the money i'd fucking take you know formula one somewhere else and what are the teams gonna do the, like they well, can't like, they can't just be, race anywhere else because I then who the that. fuck's gonna watch it like i love that yeah. but also that's such an asshole move yeah it's like that's marco like naming your like, kid after yourself. Yeah. <laughs> 
Or like the Marco Pierre White thing that you, we were talking about. Oh, God, where I hate he, that guy. Yeah, Marco Pierre White's I'm another sure fucking boss. I'm sure he makes fabulous boss. food. Yeah. This guy's a dick. Yeah, he... I don't... He stopped. For those of you who don't know who Marco Pierre White is, he's a chef who's one of my favorite chefs. He was the one who trained Gordon Ramsay, and he won his three Michelin stars in 1999. Oh, but he gave them back because the people judging his food, like, didn't know as much as they he didn't. did. Marco, they weren't as good as him, babe, so we he saw didn't the, want the stars. We were watching a video today earlier of Marco Pierre White in 1988 talking about not only kicking people out, but the stress that it takes on one's life and, like, body. And you, you, you looked at him, and he was, like, 30... No, he, he, was, he was like out. 24 and he was strung the fuck out. I meant on drugs. Yeah, no, but like, he he didn't smoke, like, he didn't take drugs. He okay. smoked. He was a, he's a chain smoker. But That's he didn't do drugs. He's another one of those people who believes that like, a good kitchen is run like, by not taking drugs. I don't know. Marco Pierre White's a boss. <laughs> the Concord was written out pretty much to make things fair in practice and in execution. They kind of weren't. This was uh, an agreement that pretty much obligated every team uh to participate in every race of the calendar year so if i signed up i couldn't just race in monaco i had to race the 16 race calendar right okay i had to have the money to do that because formula one it was seen and still is seen as this very exclusive very prestigious because thing it is. because it's the pinnacle of motorsport right absolutely mm-hmm. i don't you have to watch drive to survive that shit is Sick. I'm not. I'm not saying that they're not the best. Mm-hmm. I'm saying just because they're fast doesn't mean yeah. they're the best. It was. But I also grew up on NASCAR, not on Formula. NASCAR's super interesting too. A lot yeah. of the technical innovations that they came up with, just because of driver safety, are really cool. Like the flaps that come up when the car's turned upside down to like bring the car back down. Yeah. Really interesting. The Concord Agreement was largely confidential, and it was signed on the 19th of January of 1981. No actual copy has surfaced, but people who were there in the room have talked about it. Okay. And that's how we get a lot of the information that I found on the internet. Um, so it's all hearsay? Pretty much. Okay. That makes me feel good. Yeah. So now we get to the teams and drivers oh, using finally. the 1980 World Championship standings. So we're okay. going to start with Williams and work our way down. Alan Jones. Do I like Alan Jones? I don't remember. He was the 1980 World Champion. So this is the year he defended, this is the year he defended his crown. Alan Jones was in Australia. Somebody probably. died the last year, though, in 1980, right? Yeah. Who was it? Oh, God. Nobody died, to my knowledge. Oh, I'm thinking of someone else then? Clay Rigatoni got his feet fucked up, remember? Because he was driving with Williams. Clay Rigatoni yeah, was paralyzed. Yeah, I remember that. I'm thinking of the guy who... His car got clipped. He crashed into the barriers. His legs were all messed up, and he died later at the hospital because of it, and someone took his spot. I was thinking of Patrese. Yeah, you got it figured out. 1978, uh, the Italian GP. I'm where way behind. Ronnie Peterson unfortunately lost his life. So Alan Jones is the defending world champion. Okay. He is now being teamed up with Carlos Freudman, who is the Argentinian. Okay. And then there's some homeboy named Emilio de Velada. <laughs> now he's a pay driver. I don't know what that means. Literally, like arrive and drive, where you pay the team to have a car ready, wow. you show up, okay. and that's it. He didn't fare too well. Uh, he no. attempted 15 entries in his entire Formula One career, and he only started two. Well, he only attempted 15. He. Uh, Ligier <laughs> is up next. Ligier, last year in 1980, finished second, so okay. here we are. Jacques Lafitte is the only I driver. Like his name. I love this guy. He was okay. another talented driver who should have won a championship. Okay, I'm sure he's amazing. I just don't like his name. So, Ligier had the unfortunate um, distinction of having four different drivers for 
a multitude of reasons. Jacques Lafitte was the only driver to race in every single race. Jean-Pierre Gerrier raced in only the first and second race. That's Jabouille. No. Then Jean-Pierre Jabouille replaced Gerrier oh. after the second round. <laughs> he only lasted five races. And Patrick Tambay, who's another Frenchman, uh, replaced Jabouille after round seven, and then he saw through the rest of the season. So Wow. Yeah. Brabham had Nelson Piquet and Hector Abake in the BT-49. Right, and they did terribly. No. Last year, kind of. But Yeah. Renault had Alain Prost and Rene Arnoux. Rene Arnoux is It's Prost. Oh. Or Prost, it doesn't matter. Rene Arnoux is another guy who should have won, like, two championships. Oh. Yeah. Very talented guy. Um, as you'll see this season, in the next season, he had, like, I think, fucking, like, eight or ten pole positions. Like, he, he, he had a reputation for fucking up the start, which is why he's only got, like, five or six wins. But he's incredibly talented. Lotus is back. Uh, Elio DeAngelis is partnered with Nigel Mansell. Okay. Both cars missed the fourth race in Mansell. Imola. Mansell. Yes. I... Princess Mansell. Okay. That's why I was like, I know his name. Ken Tyrrell's team, Tyrrell, had Eddie Cheever, who raced for every single race. <laughs> Kevin Cheever. Cheever. Uh, <laughs> Kevin Cogan, only the first race. And then Ricardo Zunino, our lord and savior. Zunino. Was you partnering... were very excited about Zunino. Yeah. Yeah. But he's a dog shit uh, partner of Nelson Piquet for the last, like, three years. Great. Uh, he only raced in the second and third race, and then Michele Alboreto took over from the fourth race to the 15th race. Okay. Eros had Ricardo Patrese, mm-hmm. Siegfried Storr, who we've Patrese's talked about. Patrese's who I don't like, right? Patrese's the guy who pretty much was the cause of Peterson's death. Great. Fuck yeah. that guy. <clears throat> Siegfried Storr saw through the first 13 races, didn't make it to 14 and 15. Okay. And Jacques- Villanueva. Villeneuve? Villeneuve. This is a different Villeneuve. This is actually the brother of Gilles. That's he only Villeneuve. Lasted two ra- I'm reading it. I did take Spanish for like They're French, a Canadian. You should know. I You're am one of those not two. Canadian. So, Jacques Villeneuve Sr. is actually the brother of Gilles, right? And okay. he's the father of Jacques Villeneuve Jr., who went on to win the 1997 championship. Fittipaldi had K.K. Rosberg and Chico Serra. Now, both drivers missed round 11. We'll okay. talk about why a lot of these drivers missed some missed some of these races. This is why it gets super interesting, because uh, a lot of them missed, missed races. Okay. McLaren had John Watson and Andrea De Cesaris. Ferrari had Didier Peroni and Gilles Villeneuve. Okay. Alfa Romeo had Mario Andretti and Bruno Giacomelli. Very solid team. ATS Ford had Jan Lammers and Slim Borgood. Jan Lammers only saw the, the first four races, and then... Slim Borgood saw out four, five, six, seven. He missed the eighth round, and he ended up going back to, you know, the 15th. So, ATS so, didn't have a great year. Okay, question. Because yeah. you said, at this point, they have to be present for all races. Yeah. How does that work? We'll kind of get into that. It gets compl- kind of complicated. A lot of teams had, like, exemptions. Financial okay. reasons was one of the reasons that... It was one of the causes where, like, you could... If you were poor, because a lot of these teams well, were... So, if you were me. Yeah. Um, oh, thanks. Yeah, I mean, I'm poor too, so I wouldn't be able to do a full Formula One season. Ensign Ford had Mark Scherer for the first six rounds. Ricardo Londano only went to round two. Now, Ricardo Londano is really interesting because he had connections to guess who? Who? Pablo Escobar. Oh! Yeah, he was actually his cousin. <laughs> Pablo Escobar was funded by the coffee trade and drug trafficking in Colombia. I think most people This is people an actual know. fact. I think... I think most people yeah. know that and Escobar and drugs go hand in hand. Yeah, not that many people knew that. Okay, so Ricardo Londano was actually super interesting. I have a couple of pictures of him and Pablo Escobar on a Grand Prix track. 
Like, they were in the pits, walking. And they were in Britain. Okay. While Pablo Escobar was, like, one of the most wanted criminals. Great. Like, just strolling along, and nobody was, like... Well, like, from what I've, like, seen and read and stuff, like, in documentaries and, like, stuff online, Escobar literally did not care that he was wanted. Yeah. He was like, okay, cool, come get me. And everyone was like, excuse you. Yeah. That's not how this works. And he was like, well, what are you... Like, I'm still here. Yeah, literally. Well, when you're what... When he made it to, like, the Forbes 500, he was, like, the 8th or ninth person Yeah, no, like, he was... He's crazy. (laughs) Ricardo Lodano was initially denied his super license because... uh, But because his fastest time in the car was only about four seconds slower than, like, the fastest time at the time... He was allowed to enter the race. So what Londano did was he attended a practice session, right? Or, like, a testing day. And a bunch of other, like, racers who had their super license were there. And, um... Londano was four seconds off that fastest time. So they were like, alright, he's pretty quick, even though the car's a piece of garbage. So he was fast, but he was, you know, funded by the drug trade. I mean, that helps. K.K. Rosberg was actually upset by the way that Londano was driving. He petitioned to have him dropped. Oh. And he actually wasn't allowed to start the race. Oh. So, no one knew who this dude was, and when they saw Escobar with him in the pit lane, everybody put two and two together. Two and two together. They're like, yeah, we don't really want this guy who's got connections to the drug trade to really be driving. Well... Because it's going to put F1 in like a... It's pretty much going to give off... Give... F1's going to have this reputation of not being held to, like, the highest standard. So that's one of the reasons Londano wasn't actually allowed like, to race. But, like, the drug trade doesn't mean that you're not, like... They didn't, th- they didn't think that he was reputable. Okay, so well, So the cool thing whatever. is that Londano was actually the first Colombian ever to take part in a race weekend, which is super interesting. That is interesting, so and I feel like him. it probably would have been a little bit better if he had been allowed to race nah, longer. That. that, like, makes me mad, though, because if he, like, actually had talent, then... Like, ugh, that's annoying. Okay. So Escobar actually had a super fruitful, um, like, racing career. You'll see him here in a Porsche. Oh. Uh, there he is. Oh. Like, on the podium. He was so pudgy. I think that's kind of hilarious. I know. Like. And there he was just strolling along. He had, there was this, like, unspoken rule that if you passed Escobar, you'd literally be, like, murdered. So, that's one of the reasons nobody really, like, wanted to race against him. Well, I mean, yeah, the guy was, uh... Yeah, Pretty so persuasive. That's, that's a good way to. Yeah, Eliseo Salazar was uh, with Ensign Ford for the last seven races, okay. eight races. He saw out seven through fifteen. Osella Ford had Miguel Angel Guerrera, who uh, for the first four races with with the team, with okay. the eighth he was. He saw he saw through the first four races, and then he was also with the team for the eighth race, but he was. In a different number, for whatever reason. So, okay. It's probably a dumb question. Okay. In football. Okay. And I know football is not Formula One, not even close. Right. But in football, like, your number is, like, your number. Like, that yeah. is so, what you get. In Formula You are always that number. Like, one, mm-hmm. that's it. Yeah. So, is it different for Formula One? Like, you just get to, so like, So, the way they did numbers back then, in 1981, was your number was given to you by your championship standing the year before. So the reigning champion was number one. So the second person how did champion. he end up in a different number? That's something I couldn't really find, which okay. is what was really annoying. Maybe they just bought the wrong can of spray paint. Or I don't something. know. Pierre Carlo Gonzani was also with them. He was with them for the fifth and the sixth race. Two different entries, but with the same team. Again, different number for whatever reason. Weird. There's a dude named Beppe Gabbiani. 
Why? I don't I don't know. Because, <laughs> okay. like I said, back in the day, the foreign dudes were really foreign. And um, he <laughs> Beppes out the first five rounds. Giorgio Francius out the seventh round. Okay. And then Jean-Pierre Gerrier went from Ligier to Osella for the last, like, six races. So, this is really, like... This team especially had a lot of different drivers. Yeah. Okay. They, they were a back marker. That's why. That means like bad, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So March with Max Mosley, they tried right. coming back to F one. Yeah, the Nazi team. They had Derek Daly and LSAO Salazar. Isn't this mentioned. like the year after we stopped using the Nazi track, and now we have like the Nazi team? Trying we were to still break in. we were still racing in Germany. Well, but no, it, but it we wasn't weren't like racing the... at the Nurburgring. There we go. Yeah, the Nurburgring was taken off uh, in 1977 oh, because of Nicky Lauda's accident really, in really, really behind here. A little bit. Okay. LSAO Salazar was with March for the first six races. Then we have Theodore Ford, who had Patrick Tombe, okay. who ended up moving to, um, I think, Ligier. Yeah. Uh, Ligier. Tombe was actually with Theodore for the first seven, seven races. Mm-hmm. Mark Schur saw um, races 8 through 15. Then we had Tolman Hart, who had Brian Henton and Derek Warwick. Tolman didn't make it to the grid until the fourth race. Okay. And the way the points are doled out, only the top six finishing right, positions for points. It went from nine to six to four to three to two to one. So if you won, you got nine points. Right. Second place got six. Third place got fourth, and okay. so on and so forth. Now we make it to the races. Finally. Yeah, thank fucking God. I don't say. Yeah. South Africa was actually a non-championship round because of politics. So is it like, okay, this is like, last time I remember <laughs> this happened, this poor guy, like, thankfully he won the next race anyways. Uh, I, think, I think you're talking about Jones. He won. Yeah. yeah, he won. I am. I am. Because he won in, um, what track was it? Spain, I think. Was it Spain where, like, the track was super, like, messed up and so they were like, oh yeah, no, we're just going to take that out? Oh, that was Brazil. Yeah. I think that was Brazil. Yeah, and yeah, then, yeah. like, like thankfully he won the next race anyways. I'd have been pissed if I was that guy. Yeah. I'd be like, you made me drive on a track that sucked. I still won, and you took it away from me. Mm-hmm. Great. Okay, hmm. so, Kay. the race organizers were given a date change by FISA that didn't work for them. But the, oh. the race still went ahead, right? <laughs> okay. So, this is what's interesting. The cars were actually uh, 1981 chassis, and they were built for the 1981 regulations, but mm-hmm. the bodywork was all 1980. So they were still using ground effect cars. Okay. They were still using the ground effect skirts. PK and Williams battled for pole. Broidman actually almost died. Carlos Broidman. Of course. Pole almost died all the time. He went off in qualifying into the cash fencing, and um, meaning he like probably just missed his braking. What so... ended up happening was he went into the cash fencing, and the like barbed wire like was around his throat choking him. Oh. Um, the marshals were thankfully able to remove it, but he would have died for sure had the track not been there to rescue him. Oh, so like every other race before where no one was there to save people. Yeah, PK took pole. Pole is like Pole position first. first, Okay. Meaning he he was the fastest. So. What's the question? Reutemann almost died before the race even started. Yeah. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. I'd be so mad if I died before I even got a chance to race. (laughs) What would be all bad is uh, if you take pole, right, and you're going around because you think you can go faster, and then you end up dying, and then somebody ends up, like, beating your time. Like, I'd be heated. Honestly, I'd be, like, in wherever I'm at after I die, just fucking trying to fuck with people. Yeah, like, no. Uh, The race was wet, meaning that, like, it was raining on the race start. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) this has happened before, so... Two drivers started on slicks, and they were K.K. Rosberg and Carlos Reutemann, and they both had shit starts. Slicks are like rain tires, right? No, slicks are, they don't have any grooves on them, so they don't uh, displace any water. 
So that's like the worst thing to have in the room. Yeah, because okay. they were betting on like the See, track conditions changing like that. I didn't. was assuming that these teams were being smart and they were the only they two were the teams drivers. Who were being so smart. at the end of the day, the drivers are the ones who say, I want these tires. Okay. Sorry. But the if drivers. I was a team principal, I'd be like, You're a fucking idiot. What are you doing? Okay. Like, it's raining. It's clearly fucking white, you stupid piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I'm one for safety. Like, if I had a driver who I knew was fast but was a fucking idiot, I'd be like, No, you're going on these tires. You can do but what you I just say. said at the end of the day, it's the drivers. But fuck decision. that. No, we're talking about me being a team principal. Oh, okay. So yeah. we're talking about a hypothetical, a hypothetical situation, situation just to stroke my own ego. Okay, great. Um, Reutemann still went on to win. Wait, so this guy almost died and he still raced. Yeah, that's amazing. He ended up taking over the lead and okay. he won. I feel but it was so a non-championship PK right now because PK's like he almost died. Like you had to, you know, that PK sat there and went, "How?" Yeah, literally. Uh, Which so, just goes to show, so far, PK sucks. Uh, no. So far, PK can't even win. He's won like four or five races, and he's can't only been in Formula 1. against a guy who almost died. Carlos Reutemann had about a decade of experience on PK, to be who quite honest with you. almost died before the race even started. Okay. Um, round two, which is technically round one, because okay. the first round was a non-championship race. Great. We are at Long Beach. Sorry. Uh, it's called the USGP, the US West GP. We're at Long Beach. It was supposed to be held at Watkins Glen. And Long Beach cir- is in Florida, California. There we Long go. Long Beach is in Florida, Florida, California. I'm never gonna get that right. <laughs> Long Beach is in California. Okay. Yeah. Oh, Watkins great. Glen wasn't up to snuff safety wise, so. Um, but it's in New York. Yeah, but the track was built like. Watkins Glen has a but very interesting history. It was a public road in the 30s before it became like a purpose-built racetrack, and. Like, the track was pretty much built for, like, 50s and 60s cars. We're 20 years later where, like, you know, track renovations were pretty much non-existent. But the pizza. Yeah, but the pizza. Okay. And they're so close to, like, Canada, you know, with the maple and the bapati and the booby. Do you know how many Italians are in Canada? Probably, like, four. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's a pretty accurate representation that's because of it's the Italian population of Canada. Anywho, uh, so yeah, so Goodyear actually left Formula One and everyone was on the same Michelin tires, meaning okay. that Michelin was the sole tire manufacturer. Everybody was on the same tire. See, that's funny because when you said everyone was on Michelin tires, I thought you meant like just a couple people. Well, so uh, Michelin actually gave the best qualifying tires to the first like three or four teams, which is why it's everybody was on the same tire, but they weren't really. See, you were supposed to laugh because my sarcasm was on point there, and then <laughs> you just hit me with, like, a completely different vibe, and I didn't <clears> like it. A new regulation banned the side skirts because, you know, the cars were too fast, which is fucking stupid. So, because the cars were fast, they were like, you don't get safety measures. So, Your here's how the cars fast. got around them, and this is why I think Brabham was one of the most brilliant teams ever. Uh, they now required a six-centimeter ground clearance. Okay. Cars had to have at least a six-centimeter ground clearance from... Uh, from the ground, okay. right? So, so they needed six centimeters clearance. Yeah, so it was mandated that every time a car went out, there was a little ramp that had a light shown under it. The light was at, at exactly six centimeters. So there would be two inspectors on each side. One mm-hmm. would be on you know, one side flashing light. The other one would be on the other side to make sure the light cleared. If the car didn't clear the light, they weren't allowed to go out because okay. they weren't high enough. Right. Um, and so what Brabham did, very interesting... They created this hydraulic 
um, like suspension system. Mm-hmm. It was connected to the suspension, so the driver inside the cockpit, right behind the gear lever, mm-hmm. or somewhere around the gear lever, pretty much, they flicked a switch and the car squatted down the six inches, the six centimeters. Oh. So, so this is where I got into a very big argument with Yesenia and Cynthia, because the cars were legal when they got out. When they were racing, they, they were, were not illegal. Legal. However, when they came back in and were tested, they, they were, were legal, legal. Because they could flip a switch. A lot of drivers had their times removed because when they came back in... They didn't flip the switch. They didn't flip the switch. Or I think Carlos Reutemann, I was watching a documentary with Williams in 1981 or 1980. They, uh, The FIA removed, I think, Reutemann's time because the team forgot to switch the... The team forgot to switch the hydraulic like press thing or connect okay. it so he when he flicked the switch nothing, nothing happened. happened and he had his time deleted and he was mm. fastest this very interesting thing where the car squatted okay. um <laughs> yeah very interesting lotus pioneered something called the twin chassis and the car got banned right away oh it was it was in the preseason right oh. so um poor lotus they the, tried. the really weird thing is that the car looks so fat like i'm gonna show you pictures of it okay twin i don't chassis. think we should body shame the car but whatever it makes well you i mean feel. look oh at God, it doesn't that car so look super chubby. chunky the reason being because there were two uh, little, there like, were two chassis her. one of the chassis was the suspension and then the other chassis was connected to that right Okay. So one chassis moved up and down, and the other one was rigid. Okay. So the chassis that moved was the one that was able to squat down and take like uh, advantage of the ground effect. Mm-hmm. Colin Chapman came up with this idea. It was getting around ground effect without actually using ground effect because they didn't use the hydraulic like lift thing. Right. And a lot of the, the big teams bitched about it. Ferrari was like, "Well, we're going to have to develop it. It's going to cost a lot of money." So Ferrari was being like a little bitch. Ferrari, Ferrari, McLaren, all of the big teams were being little bitches. This is how it kind of worked. The inner chassis would hold the cockpit and would be independently sprung from the outer one, which was designed to take the pressures of the ground effects. Uh, the outer chassis did not have discernible wings and was, in effect, one huge ground effect system, beginning just behind the nose of the car and extending all the way inside the rear wheels, thereby producing massive amounts of downforce. And that's ripped straight from, you know, Wikipedia because the source is, like, a book written by one of the engineers. So that sounds like a good idea, though. Yeah. So you can see here the front wing is super, super tiny. Yeah. Right? Because it's the tunnels inside the car and under the car that are producing all of that downforce. Okay. And that massive rear wing and all of that shit. It's so cool. You can barely see the driver's head, though. Do you see how fucking fat this yeah, thing no, is? Yeah, no, it's a fat yeah, car. Yeah, it's a fucking thick one. So Lotus had their car banned. Oh. Ricardo Patrese ended up taking pole by about 0.09 seconds. He was ahead of Alan Jones, Reutemann, and Piquet. Hector Abake, who was Piquet's useless fucking teammate, was down in 15th. Shocking. Uh, Gilles ended up yeeting himself into the lead at the start. Gilles Villeneuve. Villeneuve. And Villeneuve. he didn't break for the first corner. And so... How do you just, like, he, not break? He had a great start, but he was a bit reckless. Um, and yeah, he yeeted himself in the... So he's like me. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Andrea de Cesaris rammed into the butt of Prost and Rabake, and Prost was out, and Rabake had to pit for new tires. Piquet okay, was... but what happened to the guy who hit them? Was he out too? Probably. Uh, oh, you don't know? <laughs> I didn't actually... I didn't... Who was it? It was... Andrea de Cesaris? Yeah, no, he had a bunch of crashes. His oh. nickname was actually Andrea de Cresaris. Oh, he holds <laughs> the unwantable record of having the most consecutive retirements in Formula One. I'm shocked that that isn't PK. No, PK... <laughs> I got a little upset. You guys can't see that. But, 
Uh, yeah, he retired, I think, from 1973 to 1974. was, like, 18 races straight were, like... He just didn't... That just reminds me of PK. Yeah. And, um, so Reutemann inherited the lead, but Jones was only, like, three seconds away. And, uh, Jones was a lot quicker, about half a second per lap faster, which is crazy, because he'd make that up in, in no time. So, Mark Scherer spun out late into the race. Reutemann lapped, tried to lap him, but he didn't hit his breaking point. Much and like the guy who just yeeted himself out of the race. Gilles, yeah, Gilles <laughs> was very charismatic. Jones went through, and then it was a Williams 1-2, right? So Okay. Jones, so Jones because is first Jones, again, because yeah. Jones is amazing. Yeah, and then Piquet was third. Okay, so he's getting better. Yeah. The race finished in that order. It was Jones, Reutemann, and Piquet. Okay. The last of the points, uh, finishing positions, were Andretti, Eddie Cheever, Patrick Tombay. Cheever. Yeah. He, I guess you can say he was overachieving. <laughs> Get out of my house. Okay. <laughs> An honorable mention actually goes to Kevin Kogan. He That's missed it. qualifying um, by less than the tenth of a second. Still missed it, though. Yeah. Um, it was the first time a Tyrrell driver ever failed to qualify for a race. Oh, so he's known for being bad. Yeah, and this is actually his last ever F1 race. I wonder why. So the championship to date is Jones with nine points, Carlos Reutemann with six, PK with four, Andretti had three points, Cheever had two, and Patrick Tambay had one point. Okay. The second round is in Brazil. It took place the 29th of March, 1981. The race was actually supposed to be held at Interlagos, but the safety measures were pretty ghetto. Isn't and... that the same issue they had before? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I think, in fact, this one was actually swapped, because oh. Hakarapawa... Yeah, because Hakarapawa was going under renovations. Oh. Yeah, I think. And, um... So Brazil just couldn't... Brazil was to... ghetto, ghetto. And so another reason it was moved was actually because of the growing slums. Oh. Yeah, and it didn't appeal to the image of F1. It oh kind my of, god. Yeah, no, it was, believe me. And the slums were a concern, believe it or not. Pika qualified first for his home race. Hector Obake, absolute dog shit, was down on 11th. Why is he even still racing? Um, I don't know. Okay. Pika was followed up by Carlos Wordeman and Alan Jones with Patrese and the Arrows lined up fourth. Patrese really was like an exceptional driver. He was just... Not like a champion. Patrese was like a really solid midline driver. Yeah, well, the midfield is generally P... Whatever isn't taken up. The first, It's after the first six spots. So the first six spots are usually the first three big teams. Almost always McLaren um, and Ferrari, and now it's Mercedes. So now, you're telling me that Patrese was just good enough to not be Well, think of it basic. this way. Arrows, Arrows was a dog shit team, so to qualify really high up in a dog shit car... In an era where the car was like 80% of, or excuse me, where a driver was just as much an influence on like the time as the car was, where nowadays it's more about the car. Yeah. He was great. Alan Prost was in his Renault and he was fifth and he was followed up by Bruno Giacomelli. There were a bunch of did not qualifiers. Uh, there was one ATS of Jan Lammers. Both Ocellas didn't qualify. Yes. Both Marches didn't qualify. Oh, good. And then drug dealer Ricardo Londano didn't place at all. I thought he wasn't allowed to race. This was the one where he wasn't allowed to race. Oh. Yeah. The race. The race. It rained right before the race started. Of course it did. Again, some fucking idiot drivers decided that they were going to go with a dry setup and dry weather tires even though the track was still damp. So, PK... Store in the arrows and then DDA Peroni in the Ferrari. They all did dry they setups. All did dry setups. Wow. Giovanni, so another that phenomenal driver. Again, made a bad decision. Pique was from Brazil, so this was his hometown. If anyone so was going to risk have it, no. I think that's why he chose the dry setup. No. I mean, 
Anywho, Jules Villeneuve caused, caused another, like, accident. Oh. He was right behind Aline Prost during the damp start, and Prost lifted because he couldn't see anything. What does lifted mean? Oh, he went off the gas. So, like, when you're when you're driving and you lift, you, like, literally lift your foot off the gas. Oh. So and he stopped going forward. Yeah, he... Yes. Yes. And Didi, uh, Gilles didn't, didn't lift. No. Oh. So... <laughs> he was like, nope. <laughs> So he ended up, he didn't he lift. He himself into... He braked super hard. Mario Andretti was right behind him, and he didn't brake soon enough. And so, he crashed into him. Oh, okay. Andretti was launched over the top of Gilles Villeneuve, and both of the cars were tired. I would imagine Rene- why. If I was Gilles Villeneuve, I would have peed myself. Yeah. Like... Um, <laughs> Rene Arnoux and Chico Serra also retired. I think I have pictures of the retirement. Yeah, you can see here. Oh my god. Yeah. I mean, it's not super digitized, but... It a lot still of, looks lot of rough. Fucked up. I yeah. mean, bunch of idiots. There's like a little pile up. Yeah, PK's weekend was pretty much ruined, and he finished the race 12th right behind Nigel Mansell. That could be because he made a bad decision. Interestingly enough, Nigel Mansell was actually going to be uh, later on. Uh, spoilers, by the way. PK's teammate Jones was pissed. Alan Jones, reigning world champion, was absolutely pissed. Why? Because he was right uh, on Carlos's ass with three laps to go. Carlos. Uh, Carlos Reutemann. Oh, yeah. Reutemann. So, t- two teammates. Alan Jones was Carlos Reutemann's teammate. Okay. Williams, for the last three laps, held up a uh, sign that read R-E-U-T-Jones, meaning it was Reutemann Jones. This was to signify that Carlos was supposed to move over. So that Jones could get ahead So of that him. Jones could get ahead. He didn't. Jones didn't overtake his teammate. And Wait, when- so Reutemann was like, no, not today. I'm taking the spotlight. <clears throat> and he went for it, even though they literally no, put up a sign. Reutemann was in front, and Jones was the one that was, like, on his ass trying That's to get past. That's what I'm saying. Oh. And so they put up a sign saying, like, move Reutemann needed to move so that Jones could take the mm-hmm. lead. And Reutemann went, no. Yeah. Okay. And so, again, when the flag fell, it was Carlos in first place, Jones in second, and Ricardo Patrese in third. I Jones- cannot imagine being... Alan, Alan Jones? Alan Jones. In that moment. Yeah. I'd be so Alan mad. Jones, you want to know how mad he was? He didn't attend the podium celebration. No, screw that podium and celebration. Carlos went, but he didn't spray the champagne. Car- Ricardo Patrese was just happy to be there, so he did. Jones later said, quote, I now know I have to go out and beat Carlos as well. Meaning that it was understood that Reutemann was going to be the number two. Jones now knew that he was going to have to battle his teammate, too. Okay. Because his teammate wasn't going to help him. But they should have already been doing that. This is why I don't understand the teammate dynamic when yeah. you have, like, at some point... Th- this is... Okay, this leads into yesterday, I got really mad because just like in football, they're keeping these, like, older drivers who are past oh, their prime... Oh, Kimi in, yeah. And they're not making space for new drivers. And the idea is, oh, well, the older driver stays on the team and, like helps mentor Mm -hmm. the younger driver who's also racing. But then at some point, like we're seeing with Reutemann and Jones, Reutemann's surpassing Jones. He's doing better. Jones needed a sign to tell Reutemann to get out of the way so that he could win, which means that Reutemann is currently the better driver in this situation. And now Reutemann's put in the position where... It's a battle between respecting the person who came before you and letting them take the win, yeah. or winning because you earned it, and then Jones is upset because his pride is hurt, yeah. whereas if Jones had stopped racing after his last title win, and he had given it to 
a younger driver even than Reutemann yeah. is. Reutemann and was he had older kept... than, than Jones. Though. Okay, but he was mentoring. So yeah. a less experienced driver. And Jones had continued to mentor them off the track. Yeah. Then it could have transferred on to Jones retiring maybe two years later. Reutemann is then the senior driver. He keeps training the guy below him. He wins a couple championships. And then the yeah. guy below him moves up. And that just seems like the most natural, least... Like, yeah. combative way to go about things. I guess but in, here, like, a perfect universe, yeah. No, like, in any logical universe. I mean, I don't... And Formula One isn't logical, though. We're gonna go on later to find out that it's, the like, one of the least logical. That's annoying. Yeah, very. Okay. Carlos Reutemann said later on, quote, Jones had every reason to be upset. I can't disagree with that. He, I saw the pit signal three laps from the end, and I knew the terms of my contract, but I was, uh, but still I was in a dilemma. From the beginning of my career, uh, I always started every race with the intention of winning it, but now I was being asked to give it away, just like that. If I give away, I thought to myself, I stop the car here and now, in the middle of the track, and leave immediately for my farm in Argentina. Finished. Not a racing driver anymore. Which he's right. Yeah. His job is to win races. His Frank, job is not to boost Jones's ego. Yeah. Frank Williams, who was the team owner uh, and okay. the team principal, said... Much later on, this is probably right after, like, this is probably, like, in the mid to late 80s. Okay. He said, well, it stirred up a lot of controversy at the time, but quite honestly, I just found the whole thing very boring. As long as the team gets the points, I don't care who scores them. Why should I care which bloody driver wins? They're only employees after all. That's so messed up. Yeah. Frank Williams is one of, another one of my favorites. Like, 1980s, 1990s. Great. Why do you always like these guys who are giant assholes? Because I'm a giant you're asshole myself. Like, you're the kid. You're the guy who names his kid after himself. I'm okay? not going to do that because we to, ain't going to have kids. I, yeah. So, I need you to, like, know Oh, I got to show you that picture. Guy. Yeah. Okay, what picture? This is the Williams team holding up the George Jordan oh. sign. Literally, like, dude, move the fuck over. That's, I mean, but, like... And you want to know how fucking petty this dude was? Reutemann Jones held the held the sign up on the podium, smiling like "fuck I you guys." Love That's how that. petty he was. That's yeah. I mean, good for him. Yeah, super toxic. There's no like I would not. I do what Reutemann did. Like yeah, no fuck no. Jones. If yeah. I'm doing better, I'm not gonna let the other guy take. The yeah, one. Mark Scherer put in a great performance. He finished fourth, uh, well, and he said the like first. And he set the fastest lap, and it was his first points in Formula One. That still doesn't sound like first. The standings to date are Jones and Carlos, both on 15 points, P.K. Patrese on four, and Andretti on three. I think, it, I think the that's third, hilarious. Yeah, very. The third round in Argentina was held on the 12th of April, 1981. Okay. Cullen Chapman didn't attend the weekend ahead of his twin chassis being fucking considered illegal again. Oh. Before practice, the FIA made the ruling. They were like, no, it's illegal. And he's like, all right, well, fuck you guys. Carlos Reutemann's birthday was on the race day. And the PA system actually played happy birthday for him, Aww. which is really sweet. So Jones is sitting there, and he's like, he won the last race. He gets goddamn yep. happy birthday yep. today. Yep, Great. yep, yep. Michelin entered its 250th race in Formula One. Good for them. Yeah. Like the tire company? Tire company. Okay. Yep. So McLaren developed this all-carbon fiber chassis. Mm -hmm. It was uh, the MP4. Pretty much MP stands for McLaren Project, dash four. Um the hydropneumatic suspension of the Brabham's were beginning to show their muscles, and PK qualified first, and Prost was in second. Good. Prost was in the Renault, and that was a turbocharged car. Okay. Brabham, at the time, were running a naturally aspirated car. So they, even without the turbo, Even without the turbo, PK he was a lot faster. Well. Good for yeah. him. Hector Abake was sixth, thank fucking God. He ended up retiring Rabake. the race. I know that name. PK's teammate. Yes. Yeah. 
He ended up retiring the race because he had a distributor rotor arm failure. So not really his fault. No, it was a mechanical retired. failure. Okay. Now the top ten is as follows: We had Piquet, Prost, Jones, Reutemann, Arnoux, Rabake, Villeneuve, Rosberg, Patrese, and DeAngelis. Jean-Pierre Jabouille didn't do well on his return. <laughs> his leg injury um, from Canada from the year prior right. still hadn't healed, and he didn't qualify. So is he? He broke his legs. Yeah. Okay. Um, the suspension failure holed him into the barriers, and he broke both his legs. Great. Getting on to the race, Jones actually took the lead from PK on the first lap. Okay. Jones lost 500 horsepower, though. Um, I think something was wrong with his engine. It had to have been. Yeah. You don't just lose 500 horsepower. And like, he was passed, and he fell down, and but he ended up finishing fourth. So I think he pitted whatever was wrong. He fi- fixed it. Rabake was actually his highest second before he got fucked by his electrical problem. Poor Rabake. Yeah. One time he does well and he just gets screwed. Yeah. There are a few engine retirements. Patrick Tombe, Mark Schur, KK Rosberg, Nigel Mansell, and DDA Peroni okay. all had engine failures, meaning their fucking engines just Really? Shit the bed. I didn't realize that when you said engine failure. PK won the race. Good for him. Yeah. So, here's the top 10 so far. Mm-hmm. Nelson Piquet, Carlos Reutemann, Elaine Prost in his first ever podium, Alan Jones. Give me a second. Once again, I want to point out, Reutemann beat yeah. Jones. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Alan Jones in fourth, Arnoux, DeAngelis, Patrese, Mario Andretti, Siegfried Storr, and Bruno Giacomelli. Okay. The standings now, Reutemann is leading with 21 points. Jones is in second place with 18 points. Okay. Nelson Piquet is in third with 13th. And Patrese and Prost. With four. With four. Each. Thank you. Now we're in San Marino. We are in Imola. The 3rd of May, 1981. Where's San Marino? It's uh, it's in Imola. So it's like right, it's in Italy, pretty much. It's like its Thank own you. little principality. I was looking Sorry. for a country. Sorry. I don't know what that is. It's its own country, pretty much. It's you're, a principality. You're asking me to do like smart people things. <laughs> There was a new entry because uh, Tolman, remember, this is the fourth fourth race um, of the championship. Uh, it was run by Ted Tolman and Alex Hawkridge. Brian Henton, the F2 champion, uh, hadn't raced in F1 since 1977, but here he is. And Derek Warwick was the other driver. So it was okay. Brian Henton and Derek Warwick. ATS had one new driver. It was Slim Borgood, and it was the last race for Jan Lammers for ATS. Okay. Tyrrell got rid of Ricardo Zunino because he was absolute dog shit. And they replaced him with a young up-and-comer named Michele Alboreto. Oh, Alboreto, Huh? Woman. No, oh. man. Okay. Michele Alboreto was a great driver. He should have won a couple of championships, too. He drove for Ferrari. Mm-hmm. He was an exceptional driver. Uh, Lotus, again, didn't take part in the GP. Their right. Lotus 88 was again rejected by FISA. Oh. So they just kept trying the same car? Yep. Okay. Yep. This is around the time where a lot of the other teams began to kind of catch on with the suspensions. So a lot of the trickery that Brabham was using was being matched by other teams. So the supremacy they had in the last race wasn't really going to be there. Okay. Gilles Villeneuve took pole ahead of Carlos Reutemann and Rene Arnoux. Prost and Piquet were, you know, the last two. Hector Abake was down in 13th. And where's Alan Jones? He was further down. Great. So he was really on top of his game there. Yeah. If Rabake mm. is beating Jones. Yeah. I don't think he was beating him. I but... mean, like, as far as the qualifying. Yeah. So, uh, Rain Sunday morning saw the track drying at the race start. 
Everyone but Mark Schur was because on wet tires. Because at this point, they've learned their lesson. Yeah. Except the track is dry now. Yeah. Okay. There was a massive crash at the start that actually took out the Ocella of Miguel Angel Higuera. Eliseo Salazar yeeted into the back of Miguel uh, Miguel Angel's car. Guerrero, uh, Guerrero retired. He broke his wrist and ankle. And he actually had to be physically cut out of his car. Oh, my God. Yeah, so you know when, like... You know how on the highway when we came back last time, there was, like, that massive accident? Yeah, and the Jaws of Life. They, they had to use the Jaws of Life. They're gonna That's ha- so cool. Yeah. I mean, terrible. Terrible. Yeah. So cool. Well, it's not as bad as an accident that we're going to be covering in 1982, but... Uh, spoilers. Um, Salazar, Eliseo Salazar, ended up retiring on wait, lap 38. Wait, wait. What? They didn't just be like, dude, clearly you're having a bad day. Sit this one out. They let him keep racing. Well, it wasn't Guerra. Guerra retired because he had to I go know. to the hospital. But yeah. Salazar's the one who yeeted himself into Guerra, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And there was a, probably a restart. I couldn't find if there was a restart, but I'm sure he used, like, a spare car. So. Wow. Yeah. He was given the, he was given another car. Gilles Villeneuve had a great start. Uh, teammate Peroni also had a good start. So it was a Ferrari 1-2 at the start of the race. Okay. Um, Williams drivers were, surprise, surprise, battling each other. Jones made his move, and Reutemann closed the door too aggressively, meaning what does that mean? meaning that if you have two racing drivers and they're uh, one's ahead of the other, mm-hmm. and we're coming into say uh, left hand corner, right, and the car behind takes the inside, that means that they're on the left because right. it's a left hander. Um, if you close the door, it means that the driver that's ahead moves in front of the car, mm. so they can't take that line, meaning they can't take the inside. So Jones was moving over but i think carlos got like you know too antsy and he probably like he he, I mean, he moved over too aggressively that. and so jones's front wing was fucking damaged and he had to pit Reutemann went wide on the last corner and ricardo patrese went through um but the rain fucked everyone's race up um a lot of teams made poor tire decisions and pk capitalized on that and he swooped up to second behind peroni um dds car wasn't handling too well it wasn't performing too well either but he held off PK for a few laps, but eventually he took the lead on the 47th lap. Okay. Peroni fell right down the order, and so PK won his second race of the season. Okay. Patrese, Reutemann, and Rabake were the next in line, so Rabake finally finished fourth. So when he did finish, he finished super high up. So the championship standings to date are Carlos Reutemann ahead with 25 points. PK is in second place with 22 points. Alan Jones is third with 18. Okay. Ricardo Patrese has 10 points, and Prost has four points. Okay. This brings so us to... Jones is still not doing well? No. Okay. Pretty bad title defense, to be quite honest. Yeah. But he had a great car, so he had no reason to not win the championship. So he's just sucking. He's yeah. getting older, he's leaving his prime, and he's sucking. High key. Okay. This brings us to Zolder in Belgium, okay. the 17th of May. Giovanni Amadeo, uh, age 21, was an Ocella mechanic who was on the pit wall hanging onto something, right? Like a ledge or whatever. Like he was, but he tripped and fell. Wait, what? Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, wait, wait, wait. He was hanging onto a wall? He So like, I don't know how to describe it. So the pits have these like platforms you can stand on. Yes. So they're like steps and then it's like the platform and that's like the pit wall. He was, and then there's like a railing so you can like lean onto it like you can with anything else. Yeah. He was on the railing and he fell off. Carlos Reutemann was driving down the pit lane, no. and he couldn't get out of the way. No! Yeah. So what happened was Amadeo was run over, and he suffered a double skull fracture. Okay, but give and me a minute. Give me a minute. Yeah. And Giovanni Is was only okay? 20. 
Well, I mean, I'm no, he fractured it. his skull twice. As a result of the accident, a handful of drivers staged a protest regarding mechanics' safety because it was pretty much non-existent. Like, it was only... Um, I think one of the reasons the pit lane speed limit was introduced was because Gilles Villeneuve was going in at, like, 120 miles an hour. But it was Reutemann who... Yeah, no, no, but, like, Gilles Villeneuve was, like, yeeting himself in. Oh, like, you he mean, would like, not as an example, yeah. Villeneuve, like, Villeneuve if it was... had been him, would have killed the guy. Yeah. Because he so, wouldn't slow down. But, well, because drivers weren't slowing down and entering the pits, so the pit lane That's, speed like, the limit... first rule of going into the pit. Yeah. Well, okay. now, yes. But back in the day, they didn't have that. So... Zolder had a very narrow pit lane, and there were a lot of kind of losers who were there just, like, hanging on. Um, James Hunt was a commentator. He was the 1976 world champion. Okay. He literally called them hangers-on. He was like, they don't need to be there. They're fucking useless. Okay. Like, they weren't contributing anything. Another thing was the grid size was increased to 32 people. Okay. 32 cars. FISA uh, pressured small teams to boycott, pretty much. Um, Jan Lammers' entry was withdrawn by ATS, but they still ran Borgood, Slim Borgood. Redman took pole, okay. uh, pole position in qualifying. PK followed, then Peroni. Hector Urbake was fucking 21st. So is this the same race? Yeah, this is older. We're in Belgium. Okay, yeah. just making sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so during qualifying was when the mechanic got ran over. Practice. Which comes before qualifying. Yes. I'm still working so on So okay. the race weekend is in order. Friday's practice, Saturday's qualifying. qualifying. Sunday's the race. Yes, got it. Okay. yeah. Uh, Hector Abake, like I said, absolute dog shit useless driver. He was down in 21st. He was 3.2 seconds behind his teammate. Yikes. Yeah. So you're telling me Reutemann, the guy who ran someone over the previous day, took first? Yes. Wow. Car- this was Carlos Reutemann's year had it not been for PK. I just feel like after running a man hmm. over, you need a minute to recover, but... Yeah. Okay. The race start was fucked for many reasons. Oh, God. A lot of mechanics staged a protest on Sunday morning in support of Giovanni Amadeo. Yeah, I feel like at some point... In doing so... We ran a guy over. Can we give it a day or two? So, if you've ever watched the race start, you'll notice before the formation left, there's tons of mechanics on the track. Yeah. Getting the cars ready. Like, NASCAR and Yeah. Great. When the cars lined up on the grid, they were not being tended to by any mechanics. No. None None of the mechanics were on the grid... I feel like so a some few drivers of them needed a mental health day. Some drivers also sat out in solidarity, so they did. The, so this is what they did: when they lined up on the grid, they got out. Yeah. The drivers. Yeah. Meaning they still had the formation left to go. Yes. Meaning, when other cars were moving, there were they cars. were stuck because the other cars weren't moving. They weren't stuck, and this is what happened: they lined up for the first time, but they left their cars. Yeah. Right. So PK took the wrong spot in the grid, How? meaning that he because he's a fucking idiot. Okay. And he was forced to do another lap around the track, okay. meaning that he had to, like, as fast as he could. Yeah, I know. There was someone that slammed a door. Okay. So, PK was forced to do another lap around the track, okay. and cars on the grid were still waiting for him to do a second lap, but they were over overheating. Okay. You can't let Formula One cars idle for too long, because, like, they'll overheat. Like, the turbos will overheat because Obviously. they're spinning super fast. Ricardo Patrese was a driver who turned his fucking engine off. And Formula One cars, even back then, were not cars that you could just turn on in the cockpit. Right? You needed, like, an electric, like, starter that went into the back. But Tracy couldn't restart his car, and he stalled his engine. Okay. So, he mentioned to have the start relayed. He motioned... When drivers stalled, they would, like, wave their hands super fast. Yeah. Pretty much out of the cockpit to signal that they stalled. Officials still went ahead with the race start. They were like, sucks to suck, buddy. Dave Luckett was a mechanic for Ricardo Patrese, Mm -hmm. Arrows. He tried... To restart the car from behind, he wasn't successful. He, like, ran onto the track. 
most cars got around, uh, but Siegfried Storr didn't see the stalled car, and he slammed into the back of Patrese's car. Give me a minute. Where was the mechanic? Can I? I'll get to that. God damn it! Another mechanic. David Luckett was thrown a few meters away, and he oh suffered. Oh my god! He was literally he suffered massive leg injuries. He had a broken arm, and he lost the tips of his finger, but he made a full recovery. No, stop it! He lost the tip of his finger. He did not make a full recovery. He literally did not have as much of him as he had before. Yeah, but Tony Iommi also lost tips of his fingers. Stop it! We are not defending this. I'm not. No. I honestly, this this is this hat. I'm not saying that this was good for it to happen. I'm saying these things had to happen so fucking idiots like Bernie Ecclestone and... a terrible weekend to be a mechanic. Very bad. Yeah. Great. But it did a lot for mechanic safety. So how's the guy with the broken skull? I'm going to tell you. Okay. Uh, the race was restarted to make sure that Luckett was taken to hospital. Oh, great. Well, let's, I mean, as long Jones as they restarted the race Jones was the fastest him. car on the track. He tried to get past PK but couldn't. Uh, he pushed PK off the track and PK was sent into the barriers. Give me a minute. So because Jones was this like, was on the restart. I'm fast, move, and PK wouldn't move. Yeah. Jones was a little princess. Yeah. He was like, fine, if you're not going to move, I'll push <laughs> Literally, you. Literally, <laughs> yeah. Are all of these people, like, only children? Because Pretty much. Such, they're like... boomers. <laughs> PK was born in 53. He's a boomer. Okay. But Jones is older than PK, right? P- uh, they're around the same age. Okay. But my point is, like, as an only child, that's what I would do. I'd be like, well, if you don't want to move, I'll just move you for me. Literally. So, PK was so booty-tickled that he shouted at Frank Williams in the pits that he wanted to break both of Jones's legs. I mean, they're doing well with mechanics. PK, Why not add one more? Nelson PK must have made such a great impression on Frank Williams because he ended up driving for Williams in 1987. Yeah. That's, like, um... That's a fascinating way to get a job. Just yeah. scream at the guy that you hate his driver. Yeah. Jones missed a gear while Williams were running a 1-2 and he crashed into the barriers. Okay. Um, and he was burned by a radiator exploding. Okay, that's some, like, really quick karma there. Reutemann <laughs> was ahead of Elio DeAngelis and Nigel Mansell in the Lotus, but the race was shut down on lap 54 because it was raining too hard. Okay. And Reutemann won the race. Of course he did. He's a good driver. Jacques Lafitte was second, and Nigel Mansell earned his first podium in points of the season. And, uh, speaking of Giovanni, he ended up dying the day after the race. You're telling me. Give me a minute. And he was only I mean, 21. This is what's heartbreaking. The dude... I need a minute. This man got run over on Friday. Yeah, he was in the hospital for two days. Was in the hospital for two days. During which, Reutemann, who killed this man, was celebrating his victory. Reutemann was, we'll talk about it later on. He better have some big guilt. Oh, he, massive. Good. Yeah, it was really bad. Did he pay for his funeral? I don't know, babe. Hector Rabake retired on lap 39. I don't care what Rabake did. Yeah, fuck, fuck Rabake. These are the standings to date. This man died. Yeah, And I they know. kept the race going. Well, I mean, Ronnie Peterson died and they kept the race going. Ronnie Peterson was a driver. Yeah. Ronnie Peterson signed up to maybe die. This guy just wanted to fix cars. Yeah. He was a young guy, he wanted to fix cars, and he got killed by a driver who won the race... That they should have stopped. To be fair. Because the car turned. There wasn't a whole lot of safety back in the day, so it was everyone's fault. The standings to date, Reutemann led with 34 points. Even though he killed someone. Yes. Okay. PK was second with 22 points. Alan Jones, third with 18. Patrese, uh in fourth with 10 points. And Jacques Lafitte was seven, had seven points. 